Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I trust you can hear my voice even if you can't see me. Um, no great loss. The important thing is that the Word of God is heard. Um, as Mark said, we are going to address a particularly a pertinent but difficult passage of Scripture this morning. And uh, before we do so, I'd appreciate it if we could just pray together. So if you'd pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning as a congregation. I come to you as the one who will preach your word. And God, I need you. We as a congregation need you, Lord. We need, Lord, the grace of the Holy Spirit to open our hearts, Lord, to, to humble us, to give us a disposition to hear what is difficult to hear, Lord. Hearts which are open and disposed to loving you and obeying you. Oh God, this is an impossibility, but you said, Jesus, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Lord, we, we call upon you that the impossible would happen here this morning, Lord. That your word would bear its fruit in our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, we come to honor you this morning. We, we come here to honor you because you are the great God. You are a God of all righteousness and cleanness and holiness and purity. And yet you are a God of grace and love and mercy. We come to honor you, God. Let us honor you in how we speak and how we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention to the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you have them with you, you can follow with me. Otherwise, just hear them as I read them. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And this is the Word of God to us as we continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians together. Finally, then, brethren... We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Paul begins this section in which he charges the Thessalonians with purity. He, he begins it with tender words. He says, finally then, Brethren, brothers and sisters, he, he doesn't address them with a, an authoritarian tone, although he could have as the great apostle Paul. He, he approaches them as fellow brothers and sisters, fellow heirs of the grace that we've all received together in Jesus. He calls them brethren, and this tenderness that he approaches the subject of purity with, and the command which he's now going to remind them that he gave them when he was with them, this tenderness reminded me of the great novel by Victor Hugo. Uh, you guys will know it probably better from the stage production or even better from the movie, uh, Les Miserables. Uh, Les Miserables is, uh, I believe, the longest novel ever written, 1,900 pages. Uh, written by, as I said, a man called Victor Hugo. 
And in the, the opening scenes, by the way, did you know Victor Hugo said he wrote Les Miserables to lead people to God? And when you have eyes to see the pictures and types and allegories of the gospel in Les Miserables, you will see it and appreciate it in a whole new light. The novel opens and the scene is the year 1815, the little French town of Dean, Dean Leben. And in this little town, a man, a convict, is being freed after 19 years on the galleys. His name is Jean Valjean. And we meet another figure in the story almost immediately. He is the, the voice of the law, the unbending law, like the law of Moses, uh, the voice of the police inspector. His name is Inspector Javert. And Javert is the voice of Moses, the voice of the law, the unbending voice which cannot be reasoned with, which cannot be negotiated with. If you break the law, Javert will seek you. And rightfully so. For he is the voice of justice. So, Jean Valjean is released after 19 years, uh, 5 years, for stealing some bread for his sister and her family. A further 14 years for various escape attempts. He heads into the city of Dean. And he, he seeks a shelter for the night. And he goes to various inns. And he is turned away at all of them because on his papers there is a yellow stamp which marks him out as a criminal, as an ex-convict. And he is, he is shooed away. Eventually he finds himself at the monastery in Dean and there he meets the voice of grace in the story. He meets the bishop, Miriel. And Miriel welcomes him into the monastery and feeds him and shows him love and grace. But that night, you know the story, Valjean, he, he awakes, he, he finds himself wandering through the monastery, he walks into Miriel's room, there the gracious bishop is sleeping, and in a moment of weakness he reveals that heart of a thief which was always in him. And he steals some of the silverware that is in Miriel's room. He goes into various places in the monastery and he gathers up as much of the silverware as he can. He puts it in a bag and he flees. Shortly afterwards, Valjean is captured by the police. He is dragged back to the monastery and he is thrown at the feet of Bishop Muriel. He knows that if he is convicted of this crime, he will be sentenced to life on the galleys. And then he meets the most astounding grace. For Muriel says, he says to the police, no, no, I gave this silverware to this man. And then he says, Valjean, you forgot the two most important pieces. And he takes two silver candlesticks and he puts them in the hands of Valjean as Valjean lies on the floor trembling with fear. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of the love of God in Jesus Christ. The police accept this story and they leave. And then Miriel, the gracious bishop, turns to Valjean, trembling on the floor. And I, I read to you from, from the novel. The bishop drew near to him and said in a low voice, Do not forget. Never forget that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words when he had, when he had uttered them. 
he resumed with solemnity, Jean Valjean, my brother. There's, there's that, that, that tender word that we hear the Apostle Paul address the Thessalonians with, my brother, you are no longer belonging to the devil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. That's the voice of Jesus Christ. I give it to God. And something astounding, something profound happens to Jean Valjean in that moment. His heart is entirely changed by grace, by unmerited love and forgiveness. His heart is changed. And the power to do what he never could do under the voice of, of Javert, that voice of the law that says you shall not steal. He could never obey that voice no, though he knew it was right. What he could never obey now, he can obey. His heart has been changed and we see that shortly. He heads back into town and he, out of habit, he steals some money from a young boy called um, Gervais. But immediately his heart condemns him and he, he, he seeks the, the boy through the city knowing, I've been shown such grace and such forgiveness, how can I act like this? And in a panic he searches the city for this boy to return the money. His heart has been changed. And then later on in the story, you know what happens. He takes on a new personality, he becomes a rich, well-respected man. And he hears that the police have captured Jean Valjean, the infamous criminal, and it is now on trial. And of course, Jean Valjean knows they've got the wrong man. And those of you who've seen the, the movie will know that great scene where he decides to do finally what is right. And he goes down to the courthouse and he there declares in front of everyone, I am Jean Valjean. Have you declared that yet? You're going to hear some difficult things this morning. And in them you will either hear the voice of Javert, the unbending voice of the law against which you will only rebel. And write off the preacher and get bitter at the church. Or if the grace of God is here, if the Holy Spirit is working, my prayer is that many here would hear the voice of Miriel. The voice of a loving father who, who, who also says you shall not steal, but doesn't say it in the way Javert says it. Says it this way, my son, my daughter, you no longer belong to evil. I have purchased you for God. Please don't steal any longer. It's my prayer that that's the voice you hear this morning. Finally then, brethren, says the Apostle Paul, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Who is he addressing? The Apostle Paul is addressing the Thessalonian believers. He, he's addressing those who, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he said that the gospel had not come to them in word only, but the gospel had come in power and in the Holy Spirit. He is addressing those who have heard the voice of Miriel, those whose hearts have been broken by grace, and those who serve the Lord. And yet, he is urging and exhorting them to abound more and more in holiness of life. There are certain brands of Christianity, certain branches of the church that would tell you that it is never acceptable for a Christian pastor to urge and exhort and command his congregation to holy living with moral imperatives, with moral commands. 
There are many Christians that would say it is totally unacceptable for a preacher to ever use anything from the Old Testament to command the, com the behavior of Christians. Well, all I can say is anybody who says that has never read the New Testament. Because the New Testament is chock full of moral imperatives, of moral commands. Half the epistles of the Apostle Paul are given to morality, to ethics, to how we should live if the truth of the gospel has changed us. And he often uses the Ten Commandments. Often. Children, obey your parents, for this is the first commandment with a promise, he says. It's still binding. Grace is not an absence of moral commands. That's what some branches of the church would want you to hear. That any preaching on morality is graceless. But no, no. Grace is not an absence of commands. Here's what grace is. Grace is the power of God changing your heart so that when you hear the commands, you don't rebel against them, but you embrace them and your heart is disposed to wanting to do them. That's what grace is. He says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you would abound more and more. For you know, he says, he says, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandment we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know the commandments that we gave you. It appears that the Apostle Paul in his missionary work when he went into a new area and he planted a church it appears that there was a standard body of teaching that he always left with that church in places in the New Testament. He calls that the foundation that he laid. And he says, I, like a wise master builder, have laid a foundation. And then other men, other gifts to the body, pastors, teachers, etc., they come in and they build on that foundation. There was a body of teaching which he always took with him. And we can get pictures of what that body was by reading some of, the, some of his epistles. We know that much of it was doctrine. We read the great epistle to the, to the Romans and we see there the first eight chapters, this masterful laying out of the doctrines of the Christian life. But here we get a, a, another insight. We see that part of this body of, of teaching included not just doctrine, but when he went and planted a church, it also included a body of ethical, moral teaching. Of how Christians ought to walk, as he says. How we ought to live our lives. Doctrine is important. I think you know that I believe in doctrine. But if our doctrine does not lead us to the exhorting and urging of one another to holy living, our doctrine has lost its very power. He continues in verse 3. He says, For this is the will of God. This is the will of God, he says. Here the Apostle Paul, he, he, uh, he, he comes to the, the great obsessive um, thought and, and the great obsession of his life. You can't read the epistles of Paul without seeing that he's just obsessed about God. If he ever met anyone, he wanted to talk about God, God is the great obsession of the Apostle Paul. And here he now brings us to the subject of God. He says, this is the will of God. God, the glorious God. God, the immortal one. God, the eternal one. God, the one who has all knowledge. God, the, the omniscient one who knows all and sees all. God, the omnipotent one, the powerful one, the mighty God. God, the one who dwells outside of time. God who is not dependent on anything but exists within Himself. Amen. God the great. God the merciful. God the righteous. God the pure. He's obsessed with God. God the one who sent His Son. 
God that though He is righteous is merciful and gracious. God the one who forgives. God the one who will control the end as He controlled the beginning. God who will judge all the living and the dead. God, God, God to the Apostle Paul. God the one who has a will, He says. God the one who is to be worshipped. God the one who is to be served. Are you serving God in purity this morning? He says this is the will of this great God. Your sanctification. Sanctification means setting apart for a holy purpose. Setting apart. That's God's will for you. That's why he has saved you. The Apostle Paul says, you know the commands that we gave you when we were with you. You know why we gave you those commands. We didn't command you about this holy living as Christians so that you could earn salvation. You know we preach justification by faith alone. But once you had been born again, you know what we commanded you. And you know we didn't command you that to control you. This wasn't some power trip that we as apostles were on. We commanded you about holy living because this is the will of God for you. My friend, do you know that you have been saved for a purpose? You weren't saved just to give you a ticket to heaven so that you can continue living as you please. You have been saved for an end, for a purpose. That a life of holiness may begin, that you may now increase more and more in how you walk in pleasing God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Are you increasing in holiness this morning? He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And here we receive one more insight into that body of teaching that the Apostle Paul always laid down in the churches. You know, one of the facts of history is that when Christianity flourishes in a country... When there is a revival which we all pray for, inevitably what happens is Christianity turns a corner at some point from being fringe, a bit embarrassing, to being socially acceptable, to being socially respectable. And history has told the story over and over again from the conversion of Constantine and what happened to the Christianity in the Roman Empire after that all the way through till the present day. Look at Europe. Look at America. Look at South Africa. What happens is Christianity starts becoming socially acceptable where people start coming to church and saying they're Christian for the wrong reasons. Because it's now acceptable to come to church. And to be seen in church. And to say you're a Christian. And one of the things that always marks liberal Christianity is this. It is very comfortable speaking at high level about the things of the gospel. About the righteousness of God. About the goodness of God. About the cleanness of God. About the terribleness of sin in the world. That's fine if we talk in generalities and at a high level. But if we ever get down to specifics about the individual human soul and its stake before God, about the responsibility of each man and woman to walk worthy, and about individual specific sins, that is unacceptable. It gets thrown out. You see what's happened in the church. That's when the inerrancy of Scripture begins being questioned. No, the Bible is just a, a guidebook. It's not inerrant. There's many errors in it. We can't believe everything the scripture says. That's the language that begins to be spoken. Because we don't want to get down to the specifics of what scripture says. But Paul, but Paul, when he planted a church, he was not afraid of getting down to specifics. And in the case of the Thessalonian church, one of the moral commands that he laid down for them was about sexual immorality. And here is where grace is needed. 
You see, this is where you don't, you don't need grace when everybody's happy to just talk about the evil out there and the goodness of, 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 of a God that's far away. Then there's no problem. Where you need grace is where suddenly the Spirit of God is coming close to home and cutting you to the heart. This is where we need grace. This is where we need grace this morning. We need to hear the voice of Miriel this morning. Because as the Thessalonians were guilty of sexual immorality, and if there was one thing which he was going to now pick from all of these moral commands he gave them, the top of the list for the Thessalonians was sexual immorality. And my friends, just as Tomo told us that first week, the, the Thessalonica is very similar to Cape Town. In fact, it was even called the mother city. I'm telling you, if the Apostle Paul could pick one thing, in church on Maine, it would be this. You abstain from sexual immorality. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. There's a little textual issue here which I'm not going to go into. The word vessel and the word possess can be translated in various ways. I'm going to give you the short version. The commentators are pretty much agreed and most of the translations agree that what Paul is saying here is that every person, male or female, must be able to control their own bodies, in particular their sexual appetites. We commanded you, says Paul, and God commands you this morning, my friends, you must learn to control your sexual appetites. You must control, possess, gain possession of, gain control of your body and all that it contains. And he contrasts that against, in the following verses, passion and, and lust. He says, not in passion of lust... Like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not in passion of lust. And as we look at these two polar opposites that the Apostle Paul now draws before us. He says on the one hand, we have a believer who is controlling his body in sanctification and honor. The words are. Someone who is increasing more and more in purity of life, particularly sexual purity on the one hand. And on the other hand, the Gentiles who don't know God, who carry on their lives in the passion of lust. As we think about those two polar opposites, we must remember the words of Jesus. In the great Sermon on the Mount, He said this, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoever even looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sexual purity in the eyes of our holy and just God is about the heart. And we must remember that when we are comparing these two poles. What does it mean to possess your body, to control yourself, your sexual appetites, the being that you are sexually? What does it mean to control it in sanctification and in honor? It profoundly affects your hearts and your thinking and your eyes. Let me stop dancing around the issue and let me just get to the point. I want to talk to you about pornography. Did you know that a huge poll was done by the Barner Group? This is the largest Christian research organization in the world. They did a huge poll of Christian men last year, 2014. And they discovered that of men between the ages of 18 and 49, 77% of them, we're looking at pornography at least once a month. Did you hear that? 77%! Another shocking statistic of 
40% of the teenagers that are surfing the internet for pornography, 40%, almost half of them are girls. <laughs> what is happening to us? What is happening to us as the church? Do you think that statistic is true in this room? Pornography incites what Paul is speaking against here. Passion of lust. Pornography is an exceedingly wicked thing in the sight of God. Pornography corrupts the entire vessel of man and woman. It corrupts your very being. And it pollutes the church. In the Old Testament, a story is told when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. A man of the children of Israel brazenly brought in a woman of one of the local tribes. And he bragged about her in front of all the children of Israel, even in front of Moses, as he took her into his tent to have sex with her. And the Bible says a great plague broke out amongst the people. And then it was that a young man named, named Phineas, the grandson of Aaron the priest, he took a javelin in his hand and he went into that man's tent and he thrust the two of them through in the very act. And the Bible says the plague was turned away from Israel. Another, another story is told in the book of Joshua of the children of Israel going into the promised land and they defeated Jericho. The walls came down. Great victory. God is with us. But God had said you burn everything. And there was a man named Achan who didn't burn what he found. He said he coveted in his heart when he found a, a bar of gold and a Babylonian garment and he took them and he hid them in his tent. Nobody knew this. So Joshua sent the army up to the next city, which they should have defeated, a town called Ai. And there they were defeated. And many men of the Israelites fell dead in the face of their enemies. And Joshua could not understand this defeat. And he fell before the Lord at the tabernacle. And he said, Oh God, why have you brought us here? To slay us in the promised land. And God said to him, get up off your feet. Get up onto your feet, Joshua. For the children of Israel have done a wicked thing. They did their investigations. They found out that this man's covetous spirit, what he had buried, had cursed the entire nation. And they stoned him with stones. And God's favor was brought back upon the children of Israel. How many times have we prayed for revival in this church? How many, how many times have we prayed for God to move amongst us and that we would see miracles amongst us of all nature? Could it be that God looks down and says... You don't even know that there is an accursed thing in your midst. I will not come down upon you. I will not. I am a holy God. Remove the cursed thing from among you and then I will come. Could it be? Your pornography, my friend, is cursing the entire church. Turn away from it. Pornography is anti-woman. It is anti-marriage. It is anti-children. It is anti-family. It is anti-society. It is anti-Jesus. Pornography grieves the Holy Spirit. And pornography kindles the wrath of God. 
Paul continues. He says you should control your bodies, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God, like the Gentiles. You're not a Gentile here. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are not what you used to be. You are new in Christ. Can you hear the many of you who are in sexual immorality here this morning? Sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend, mutual masturbation, heavy petting. God forbid there should be people here committing adultery on their spouse. Listen to me. I tell you what, listen to the words of Muriel. Jean Valjean, put your name in there, my brother. You are no longer belonging to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you, says Jesus. I withdraw it from black thought and the spirit of perdition. I have given you to God. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you used to to run in this kind of way, walk in this kind of sexually immoral way. And then he says, and such were some of you, but there's been a great change. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you are born again, there has been a profound change that has happened to you. You have been made alive by the Spirit of God. You shall not live in sin anymore. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not a slave to us. For you are not under law. You are under grace. What does that mean? That means you don't hear the voice of Javert anymore. When you hear God say, please, turn away from this thing. You hear the voice of a father. You're under grace. Your heart has got the ability to turn away from it. The Apostle John said this. No one who has been born of God continues to sin. For the seed of God, God's seed, remains in him. Bearing life and fruit in you. You see, the devil would want you to think... That everyone's doing it, that it's, that it's acceptable, and actually that you're an addict, that you can't control yourself. Well, it's not my job to make you feel better. It's my job to, you know, to placate you in your sin. It's my job to tell you what the Bible says, that you can be free from this. You can. Therefore, says the Spirit of God to you this morning, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, that's sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Hear the voice of God demanding of you this morning that you put to death sexual immorality and that you put pornography behind you once and for all. Paul continues, verse 6, that no one should take advantage or defraud his brother in this matter. I'm going to say a brief word here to the ladies in the room. We are not to defraud our brothers in this matter. Ladies, you know that men are stimulated sexually by what they see. You have a responsibility before your God and Father in the presence of your brothers. You have a responsibility to dress appropriately. I'm not telling you how to dress. I'm telling you to search your conscience. And I'm telling you not to defraud your brother. Not only that, but you know that your sin affects others. There is no such thing as a private sin. And that's part of what I've tried to communicate to you this morning. If there is just one accursed thing amongst us, God will not be amongst us. Ichabod, the glory has departed like Samson. I will arise as before and I will go and do what I've always done. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Please let that not be the testimony of the church, church on Main, of the church of Cape Town. 
Let us be a holy people where the Spirit of God is pleased to fall. Please, please, I'm begging you. I, as your brother, am begging you to sexual purity because it affects me. And it affects my children. It affects the person sitting next to you. Don't defraud your brother in this. And then comes the warning. For the Lord is the avenger of all such. He is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified to you, says Paul. Is it wrong for a preacher to speak so strongly? Is it, is it wrong for a preacher to speak to other Christians, warning them of the judgment of God? There are many people that would say, a Christian preacher has no business warning other Christians about the judgment of God. Well, Paul does it explicitly here. And I am warning you this morning, my friends. God will not tolerate sexual immorality in His church. I am warning you. He is the avenger of all such. For God did not call us to uncleanness, as the Apostle Paul, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. He who rejects this does not reject man, but God. I, I, I thank God that, that Paul penned those words because the greatest temptation, if you are guilty of sexual immorality, and I believe many in this room are, the greatest temptation will be for you to get angry and reject me and harden your heart. Well, hear the word of God that if you reject this, you're not rejecting me, you're not rejecting the word of man, you are rejecting God. Folks, uh, just get the point here. You can't have your little private sin and then have your relationship with God. You cannot serve two masters. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. E even by, by music. You know, you, you can come into this church where quite rightly we lift our voices with great emotion to great music and it's a gift from God to help us pour out our gratitude and thanks to God. Music is a gift. We thank God for it. But you can come in here committing sexual immorality of any kind and you can feel the emotion of music that you enjoy and you can confuse that with the presence of God. Do not be deceived, my friend. Little girls faint at Justin Bieber concerts. Don't be deceived. You hear what I'm saying? I'm a worshipper. I'm telling you, the devil appears as an angel of light and he would want you to think that it's okay that you've got this little thing going on on the side and when you feel the emotion of worship that God is fine with it, he's gracious, he understands your weakness, I'm here to tell you, God will not tolerate sexual immorality in you. He who, does, he who rejects this doesn't reject man, but God. Here's the point. If you continue in your sexual immorality, you are not just disobeying God. You are rejecting God. Let that sink down into your ears. Where's the hope in all this as I close? Where's the hope? First of all, the hope is here. Jesus Christ gave his life for sinners. Hallelujah. There's grace for you. There is grace for you this morning. He took sin upon himself so that it may be forgiven. So that anyone who comes to him and repents will be forgiven. Anyone. I don't care how many times you have repented of this thing and stumbled back into it. I don't care. If you hear the voice of Muriel this morning, if you hear the voice of grace, that means God has not turned you over. That means He is still extending His hand. If you feel a conscience and a desire to be forgiven, 
That's the Holy Spirit. If God had turned you over, all you would hear is the voice of Javert, the voice of the law of Moses, and you would hate it and walk away from it. If you want to repent, you can. That's the good news. There is grace for you. There is forgiveness available. You may be forgiven this morning if you will repent. For Jesus Christ's blood is strong enough to wash you clean again. Amen. Hallelujah. It's strong enough. You can be forgiven. And properly forgiven. Not just said, well it's okay but I'm keeping my eye on you. You can be cleansed again like a virgin again this morning. You can He's here. He's here. He's a gracious God. He is a patient God. He longs to forgive those who will humble themselves. He's here to forgive again this morning. Will you come? Will you come and be forgiven and washed clean? But then there is hope which is given to us beyond an initial cleansing. The Apostle Paul ends the section by saying this, this God who has also given us His Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in many places that it is by the Holy Spirit that we will overcome the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, says Paul to the Galatians, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Some of you are here feeling like Stephen, you don't know how much I've struggled with this thing. You don't know how much it's torn me apart. I'm addicted to this thing. Cannot get free from it. That's the voice of the devil, my brother. My sister, listen to me. You can be free. The Holy Spirit is strong enough. He is. He can free you from this thing. And of course, there are means that He uses. Prayer. Maybe it is that you want us to pray this morning for a cleansing and for a power to come upon you again for freedom and we're happy to pray. He has given us His Word. Do you know that your home group leader doesn't continually tell you to have quiet times and are you in the Word and are you praying and are you pouring out your heart to God each day? He's not doing that to give you some kind of rule book. Your home group leader is trying to get you to that space every day where the Holy Spirit can do His work. If you break yourself off from Christ, if you never have any fellowship with Him, the Holy Spirit will not work. Maybe it is that you need to commit this morning to getting back into the presence of God in your personal life. Back into the prayer meetings of Church on Main. Maybe it is that you need to commit to community and Bible reading and prayer and, and the sacraments and, and praying in tongues regularly in your quiet time. If God has given you that gift, if He's given you the gift, use it. It edifies yourself. Use what we call the means of grace and the Holy Spirit will set you free. I tell you that on the authority of the Word of God this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? God, you are worthy of this kind of moral charge to Christians. You're worthy of it because, because you are holy, God. And we are not, Lord. We know our failings and fallings. We know our corruptions, Lord. But you ever stand holy and righteous and pure, God. And yet you ever stand before us with arms wide open saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, give us rest today. Oh God, give us power in the Holy Spirit to overcome this thing of sexual temptation, of lust and passion, God. Give us power again, God, this morning. And God, we repent of it. God, we repent of it. 
And maybe as I'm praying and you're sitting here in this congregation and you know that you have been looking at pornography, you've been in a sexual relationship with a partner who's not your husband or wife, maybe it is that you want to just in your heart, you want to just say to God now, Lord, please forgive me, wash me clean again. Ask Him. Ask and it will be given to you. Forgive us, God, we repent. Make us clean again, O God, that your Spirit may fall upon us and we may see great and wondrous things in our generation. And Lord, we pray it in the name of the one who came, the one who took it all upon himself on the cross. In the name of Jesus. I don't want to leave without just addressing those of you here who are not Christians. There may be those of you here who have never given your life to Christ. You've never crossed that line of faith and made Jesus your Lord and asked Him to forgive you. Well, everything, not everything in this message goes for you. Your heart needs to be changed so that you can hear the voice of a gracious Father in these commands. But maybe it is that as you've been sitting here this morning, you have felt something change within you towards God and you want to embrace Christ as your Savior for the first time. You don't have to obey any of these commands in order to be forgiven. You need to know that. In fact, if you try, the Bible says that itself is sin because it's pride. All you must do is come to Jesus with nothing in your hands and say, Lord, I am a sinner, but I know you died for sin and you rose from the dead so that I can live again. Come to him with nothing in your hands and ask him to forgive you and he will do exactly that. And you will be adopted as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Don't delay. Do that today. May the Lord bless you.